You are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. If you're new to our church, uh, my name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really glad that you're here today. I want to start out just talking about a movie, and this movie, 50 First Dates. Uh, This guy, Henry Roth, played by Adam Sandler, is a man afraid of commitment. Uh, Such a typical portrayal of men these days in our culture. But anyways, he fears getting in a serious relationship until he meets this woman, Lucy. And they instantly hit it off. And Henry finally believes he has found the woman of his dreams until the next day. The next day he sees her, and she has no idea who he is. And he's trying to figure out what's going on. We hit it off so well. And he learns that she suffers from short-term memory loss in an accident that she was in a year ago. So she forgets everything that happens the day before. And so the movie is all about Henry pursuing Lucy with another first date, trying to figure out a way for her to remember him and ultimately to win her heart. I thought this movie was from a few years ago. This was 13 years ago. I am like (laughs) 10 years behind on movies. Um, And I'm surprised I'm saying this about an Adam Sandler movie. But this movie reminds me about the heart of God for us. I believe every day God is trying to show himself to us. He's lavishing his goodness and his grace over our lives. And he's saying, remember me. He's inviting us to a real relationship with himself. And we are the ones, myself included, who can so easily have spiritual amnesia. When we get a glimpse of Jesus for a moment, but then we go on living our lives like he doesn't exist or he doesn't matter, he doesn't make a difference. And our God is so patient, he's so kind to us, and his heart for us is for a relationship with us. And it's greater than we can understand or fathom. He longs for this relationship with you and I that goes beyond one, one hour on a Sunday. But it's every day that Jesus Christ wants to walk with us. And in any relationship, no matter how long you've known someone, there's always more to learn. That's the beauty and the challenge of relationships, the vastness, the depth, the complexity. Yvonne and I have been married almost 14 years in a month, and I'm still learning things about her that I never knew. All good and wonderful things, of course. It's the same with Jesus. Man, if you think you have Jesus all figured out, come on. Come on. There is more we can know about Jesus. Not just in our understanding and knowledge of him, but in our experience, our relationship with him. And that's my hope for us as we continue through this series, Marvel at the Master, that our relationship with Jesus would not be stale 
and familiar and just the same old, but that God would bring us to fresh places of understanding and encounters with Jesus personally. You know, growing up, our family attended a small Methodist church. And after service, I remember all the kids would run downstairs. and We'd play in the basement. A lot of great memories and times playing in the basement. On one of the tables in the basement, there was this picture of Jesus that I will never forget. It's very similar to the one on this slide. As a little boy, this was my image of Jesus. And this week, I, just, I spent some time just looking at this picture and trying to figure out what was my impression of Jesus as a little boy. Uh, I mean, here to me, Jesus looks innocent, maybe somewhat friendly. I don't know if he's friendly in this picture. He seems serious and focused and safe. And as I got older, maybe you can relate to this, my main impression of Jesus is that Jesus is meek and mild. Jesus is loving and compassionate and humble and gentle, all good qualities of Jesus Christ. But that was it. In his personality, to me, Jesus was just a really nice guy. And that was my goal as a Christian, just be a really nice guy. That was the box I grew up putting Jesus in, the nice guy box. It took me a long time to understand that Scripture does not put Jesus in this same box. This morning, we're going to look at this passage from John chapter 2. And it's going to blow the lid off this box of Jesus just being meek and mild. So John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifice. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changer coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Problem is, this is three small verses that you read in 30 seconds, but there's so much happening here. First thing for us to understand, the Passover was one of the most significant and important holidays for the Jewish people. The Jews were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And the Passover night, the angel of death passed over the Jewish homes marked with blood. Those homes were covered and protected from death. And all the other homes not marked with the lamb's blood, as God instructed, the firstborn in that household was killed. It was a night of life and death. And this night led to the great deliverance for the Jewish people from Egypt. And for the Jews, it was a day worth remembering and celebrating, a day of independence and freedom. So Jesus walks into the temple courts with the great Passover celebration coming. The temple's a lot different than he expects. Little shops had been set up all around the temple to sell cattle and sheep and doves. 
And this wasn't pet land. People weren't buying these animals to take home for their kids. These animals were going to be slaughtered as part of the Jewish tradition of worship. So you have animals everywhere, and then you have tables set up, basically little banks where people are exchanging money and uh, getting new currency to pay the temple tax and to pay for the animal sacrifices. And after Jesus scouts out the scene in the temple area, something ignites in him. And we're going to unpack this a little bit later. And of all things, Jesus begins to make a whip. I can't help but think of Indiana Jones when I read this. You know, the whip-cracking archaeologist. You can buy a replica Indiana Jones whip on Amazon for $6.99. And in the description it says, caution, this will hurt if you use it on somebody. And there's no Amazon in Jesus' day. And he doesn't carry a whip around, so he starts to make a whip out of ropes. I mean, this is crazy stuff. Meek and mild Jesus? I don't think so. We don't know how long it takes him to make a whip, but it probably took some time. So this was a deliberate, thought-out, premeditated plan. And he finishes making the whip, and his disciples are probably thinking, okay, he's never done this before. What's going to happen next? And I'm sure they were in shock and awe like we are today. So imagine the scene with me. And Jesus enters into the temple courts with a whip in hand. There's a corral of cattle and sheep in the corner. Whenever you have animals herded together, the sights and the smells aren't pleasant. And Jesus moves into action. He starts driving out the animals with this homemade whip. And the animals just aren't going to line up in single file line. The animals are panicking and start running everywhere. I mean, this is something like running of the bulls in Spain. And a stampede begins. And then Jesus goes after the money changers. He takes all their coins on their tables and dumps it everywhere. Like a jar of marble spilling. And then he starts kicking down their tables. And the money exchangers are scrambling to pick up their money. And the animals are running in terror. The scene is pure chaos. And the surprising thing to me is no one stops Jesus. He's just one man. There had to have been hundreds of people watching this scene unfold. And everybody just lets Jesus be. Meek and mild Jesus, not here. This is a different aspect of Jesus' personality and character. So what is driving this for Jesus? Did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Is he having a fit of rage? How do we understand what's happening here? Well, the words of Jesus in the next couple of verses help us out. Verse 16, then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. 
What Jesus sees happening in the temple fills him with a holy anger. Because what is happening, happening is violating the very heart of God. His father's heart, house, the temple, was supposed to be a place of worship. And now it was turned into a marketplace, a place of commerce and exploitation. The place that was supposed to be set apart as God's special place for his relationship with his people had been twisted into something like the New York Stock Exchange. And as much as we might be tempted to sweep under the rug Jesus' anger, we can't ignore it. Jesus is angry. He's mad. He's had it. But his anger wasn't vengeful. It wasn't a personal retaliation. And so many times in his life, Jesus was offended that he chose to forgive and give grace. He was mocked and ridiculed, yet he was silent and did not defend himself. And Jesus shows us here there is a righteous way to handle our anger because anger itself is not sin. I didn't grow up believing that. I thought anger was sin. Ephesians 4.26, in your anger, do not sin. So there can be anger without sin. It's how we handle our anger that, that is the issue. And Jesus is so upset because the very reason that he came was to bring people back to God, to seek and to save those who are far from God. And now he's witnessing all these barricades, all these things blocking people from coming to God. And Jesus can't stand it anymore. Something needs to be done. Enough is enough. And Jesus steps in with force to bring restoration and freedom in his father's house, to put things back in order. Man, Jesus here shows us some things about his character that we cannot forget about. If we miss these things, we miss out on the opportunity to know Jesus as he really is. And the first thing I want to point out is Jesus' strength. That Jesus was a strong man. In the Chronicles of Narnia, the four children step through the wardrobe. And they enter this magical land of Narnia. And they keep hearing about this guy, Aslan. And they're trying to figure out who is Aslan. There's this conversation between the beavers and Susan and Lucy that I want to read for us. I'm not going to do the voices or anything like that, okay? So that's going <laughs> to... So, Mr. Beaver says, Aslan a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the woods and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Susan, surprised. Oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Mrs. Beaver responds, That you will, dearie, and make no mistake. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking... They're either braver than most or else just silly. 
Lucy, then he isn't safe. Mr. Beaver, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about being safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And C.S. Lewis in Narnia portrays Aslan not as a cute kitten or a little puppy, but as a strong and powerful and fierce lion. And the question the girls keep asking and wondering, is Aslan safe? I think for us today, too often, man, we domesticate Jesus. We try to make Jesus safe as possible for our own sake. We tame him as only being gentle and quiet. Again, we put Jesus in the nice guy cage because he's manageable there. He's controllable. We know what to do with Jesus there. But Jesus can't be domesticated. He's too powerful, too strong, too good for this. I just want to remind us this morning that Jesus is no weak and soft and wimpy leader. What Jesus did in the temple was forceful, but not cruel. He was confrontational, but not reckless. Jesus shows us here his strength, the strength of his presence. I try to go to the gym a few times a week. I don't know if you guys can tell or not. I'm joking. I'm one of the average guys at the gym. I'm hanging out with the senior citizens on the treadmill and stuff like that. Um, So I don't have a strong presence when I enter the gym, but it seems like every gym has one of those guys who needs to announce his presence. And at the gym I go to, there's this one guy, and I don't know him. He might be a great guy. Uh, But every day, even in the dead of winter, he's wearing a tank top uh, to show off his bulging biceps. And I look at him, and I'm like, I get it, sir. I know you're ripped, and I'm not. Thank you for reminding me again today. And then on other days, it's becoming more frequent, he wears spandex shorts to top it off. And it's not like I'm looking, but it's hard not to notice, you know? And some people just choose to stand out. And I don't get the sense from Scripture that Jesus was this macho man type. I don't think he wore a power robe or special sandals. I don't think he did anything to attract himself physically uh, to others. But I believe Jesus had a strong presence. I believe it was his inner strength. He was marked in his inner being with integrity and righteousness, a clear sense of identity and mission. Man, Jesus carried himself with a sense of authority and presence. Not only in his teaching, but in his character, in his personhood. And for us today, we need to remember this about Jesus. Man, we have a strong leader and master. And Jesus wants to give us his strength to live our lives to honor him. Man, I love this in Ephesians 3. Paul is praying this prayer for the Ephesians believers. And he's talking about the strength that Christ will give believers through the presence of Jesus in our lives. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, 
the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and will keep you strong. And through his strong presence, Christ wants to empower you with his strength. He wants to make his home in your heart. He wants to set up shop in your lives and allow you to be rooted in his love and his strength. And that's good news for us. Because I don't know about you, but I need his strength. Man, life can be hard no matter what season we're in. I don't know many people who experience life as a cakewalk. I think as we get older and we move further along in the seasons of our lives, I think we forget how hard life was back then. Man, life as a kid or a teenager, it's not easy. We have to remember our young people are facing challenges that are new to them. And they they need to learn to find Christ's strength personally in their lives. Being single isn't easy when you want to find that special someone and get married. Man, careers and jobs aren't always easy. Man, if I could tell you about my boss, um, he's totally awesome. <laughs> Love you, man. <laughs> marriage. <laughs> marriage offers plenty of challenges. And two people trying to figure out how to share and do life together. It's not easy. Man, having children is a great blessing. But it's not easy being parents trying to raise little human beings. And getting older is a great challenge. Watching your body fail physically. Dealing with parents who are struggling with their own health issues. In the season you are in, I'm sure there are challenges you are facing. And sometimes you're like, I don't know if I have the strength to face this. I get it. You're not alone. And maybe some of you are there this morning. Deep down, you're wondering, can I make it through today? Can I make it through another week? This is where we can't have spiritual amnesia. We can't lose sight of Jesus in these challenges. He wants to meet you in your place of need and show you his power. Jesus wants to give you new strength today. As Christ is being formed in you, I think we'll be surprised at the strength that God wants to give us, strong like Jesus Christ. Whatever you are facing right now, today, I encourage you, come to Jesus and ask him, Jesus, make your home in my heart. Jesus, show me your strength again today. Jesus, root me in your great love. And Jesus wants to show up in your life. And he wants to give you real strength that you need today. 
The second thing that we can't forget about Jesus is Jesus' resolve to stand up for what is right. Jesus had a God-given resolve to stand up for what is right. As he's making that whip, he might have been thinking, man, this is going to create quite this scene. And Jesus wasn't interested in just creating scenes. But he knew something needed to be done. What was happening was not right. It was a tragedy. It was a violation of God's heart for his people. And Jesus must have figured that a little conversation with the merchants was not going to do the trick. He wasn't going to be diplomatic here. So he took action. He stood up for what was right, for the temple to be restored as a place where people could meet God. And Jesus wasn't afraid to confront what was wrong and misguided. Jesus went after the religious leaders of the day because they were misleading people and focused solely on the outward religious practices, not the heart. And he told them to their faces. The prophets were writing about you when they said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. Jesus stood up and he brought freedom so people's hearts could be close to God again. And the same is true for us today. Jesus wants his followers to confront what is wrong and to stand up for what is right. He wants to give us a God-given resolve. When something is twisted in our world and goes against the heart of God. I'm dating myself a bit, but Popeye the Sailor Man was one of the classic cartoons when I was growing up. And Popeye was the good-natured, easygoing sailor who wasn't looking to cause trouble. But in every episode, some bad guy, you know, messes things up, goes after his lady, remember Olive Oil, his beautiful lady? And Popeye reaches a point in every episode where he hits his tipping point. And he exclaims his trademark line, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. Then he whips out a can of spinach. What a great marketing ploy for kids to eat their, their vegetables. Spinach will give you super strength. And he downs it in one gulps, flexes his biceps, and then goes after the bad guy and saves the day. That's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. The Popeye point. This is now a psychology term, I think. I saw an article this week. And I'm going to use it a little bit differently. But it's reaching a point of holy frustration that connects to the heart of God where enough is enough. You can't stand some sort of wrongdoing and you have to confront it. And the manner in which we confront things is very important. I'm not advocating for physical violence or aggression like Popeye. You have to stand up for what is right and do it in a way that's firm and direct, yet still demonstrates the compassion and love of Jesus Christ. The Popeye point. Something in your heart breaks, excuse me, 
my, my voice is breaking now. Something in your heart breaks because it breaks the heart of God and you can't ignore it. But you stand up. You have a resolve to stand up for what is right. What will it be for you? What will those Popeye points be in your life? Maybe for you, you can't stand hearing about the clean water issues in our world today. And you take it for granted so often that it's so easy in America to get a cup of clean water. But there's places in the world where that's impossible. And it breaks your heart. You need to take a step to get involved. Or you can't stand how one of your coworkers is being treated at work, and it's been going on for a long time. Or at school, one of your friends is getting bullied. You can't ignore it anymore. It's time to stand up for what is right. Or for you, you can't hear anymore about child trafficking and slavery. You need to get involved with an organization that's doing something to address this great justice issue in our world today. And if you're in that place, I encourage you to talk to Pastor Frank after service today. Or maybe for you, you can't stand that people in your life are so uninterested in the Bible. And you have a passion to help people find life and connection with God through his word. And you need to figure out that next step that God is asking you to take to help others experience his word like you do. Or maybe for you, you can't stand that your neighbors don't know one another. And something needs to change. And if no one else is going to stand up, maybe it's time you stand up and take a step in your neighborhood to help your neighbors connect with one another. Followers of Jesus stand up in his name to fight for what is right, reflect his heart to this world. As I close, I believe this morning, Jesus wants us to marvel at him again. Remember that he is strong, and he lived with a resolve to do what was right. Man, I'm so thankful personally that Jesus isn't just meek and mild. Man, I need Jesus' love and compassion in my life like you do. But I also need a leader who is strong and can give me real strength. Our Savior Jesus is strong and mighty. He wants to give you new strength this week. Have you boxed Jesus in? Today might be a step towards freedom in your life. We stop putting Jesus in your self-constructed box and you begin to experience him as he really is. And I encourage you to pray, Jesus, show me the real you. I want to experience you as you really are. Show me yourself again, Jesus. And I want to remind us that Jesus gives strength through his people. It's one of the great things about Christ-centered community. As we follow Jesus together, strength will come through a brother or sister in Christ that God sends into your life at just the right time. 
Man, I love how God does this. Even this past week for me, God sent a couple people who gave me strength, who encouraged me and counseled me. And there was real strength from Christ through another brother in Christ for me. We need one another on this journey. We're not alone. We're in this together. Is there an area of your life, a situation or relationship where it's time to stand up for what is right? I get it. It might be scary. You might not feel ready. You might feel inadequate to take that step. And you might be playing out the potential consequences in your head. If you take this step, what it will lead to. But if Jesus is leading you to do it, you have to do it. And you have to remember that he will walk with you. He will empower you. He will be there with you every step of the way. And it's time for you to stand up with a resolve to do what is right and to fully trust him. I want to just lead us now just to enter in a time just to pray and to come to Jesus where you're at. I just want to start in that place of and how have we boxed in Jesus? Even looking back at your childhood, like the impressions you had of Jesus Christ at a young age, have you boxed him in? And I just want to invite you just to even open your hands up as a sign of surrender and just say, Jesus, show me the real you. Show me how I've limited you and boxed you in and lead me to places of freedom where I can experience you as you really are. So why don't you just take a minute to start there and just invite Jesus to show you himself again. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.